Welcome to the Church 214 podcast. We're glad that you've joined us today. We hope that you enjoy today's message. And if you'd like to find out more about our church, please visit our website at church214.org. All right. You guys start making your way to your seats. Wow, I feel empowered after my whole church family praying. That's incredible. All right, as you chatty Kathy's in the back, find your seats. That's you, Rob. Hey, recently I was hosting an event in my home, and um, some good friends in my church were there, and um, my good friend had her mom there, and um, I've met her briefly, but we ended up chatting throughout the night, and I love to invite people to church. Like, it is one of my favorite things to do because I know the life that exists here, and I want people to experience it, you know? It'd be like if I knew about Target and I didn't tell you how awesome it is, you know? Like, you can't keep that to yourself, right? So I'm chatting with her, and at the end of the night, I said, hey, you should come to church. I said, and come early because, you know, you might win the iPad for the in-your-seat drawing. I have no idea why I said that. Guys, we can't give away iPads. We are saving money for like cushy chairs for our tushies, right? But I said, come for the in-your-seat drawing. And the next Sunday, the door opened and she walked in early. And I noticed like, oh, she's in her chair early. I wonder if I set some false expectations about what we should expect from this church, you know, and So I decided in that moment that I should state publicly that we don't give away iPads at this church. Um, Maybe someday we will, but not right now. we got to give money to Empower Life Center. But, um, you know, I chuckled because I thought, isn't it funny the things that we can set a false expectation of? Now, that's a joke. I'm confident she did not think she was getting an iPad. At least I hope she didn't. But um, I thought, you know, I think I should just, just say what I mean. Like, hey, when you come to our church, you're going to get Jesus, awesome people, kids all over the place, Jill's baked goods, Sarah's coffee, you're going to get some Holy Spirit goosebumps, but that's it. That's the whole package. There are no iPads. So we want to just set very clear expectations, and that's what we're talking about this week. We're kicking off a series called Expectations. So recently, my daughter, who is... I think like the sweetest little six-year-old on the planet right now. She gets up in my face and tells me every day how much she loves me. But um, she has set some very clear expectations for her daddy. So she, uh, my husband, if you don't know him, he is a very tidy daddy. And um, he likes things to be very, very clean and tidy, which I appreciate. And um, one, t- one day, he had a brain lapse, and he decided it would be cool for us to get a dog. Now, I don't know if he just forgot about the fact that dogs have turds and hairballs and that they are not tidy, but he was, like, priming our family for the fact that we should get a dog. And so he's looking at these photos, and I thought the dog he was looking at looked a bit like a little old man, so I was not into it at all. But he says, Collins, Collins, honey, he says, look how cute this dog is. Don't you think it would be amazing if our family got this dog? 
And Collins looked at him with the most stern look I have ever seen in my entire life. And she said, Daddy, I will leave you. (laughs) She said, I will. I will move in with Heather or Holly. You'll take her. She was setting very crystal clear expectations of her dad. Dad, you must invite, uh, provide a safe environment for me to live in, and that is dog-free. If not, I will leave you. So feisty one. She is a feisty one. So hey, this, this uh, series, we're going to talk about what we should expect in our faith journey. All right? What we should expect um, with our relationship with God what we should expect of ourselves as Christ followers, what we should expect of our friends and our family, and also, this is going to be a good one, what we should expect of a believer versus a non-believer. I think sometimes we might mix those up. So I want to invite you to pray with me, if you would. Jesus, I pray that you would just pilot this message today, that you would give all of us full-brained revelation of your word and what it means to love you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, so this series was birthed from my friends Tim and Ashton. They were in a conversation, and Ashton was sharing that he, he felt a little bit of a dilemma about not knowing fully what the expectations are as a new Christ follower. So he's been a Christ follower about a year and a half, and um, when I messaged Ashton this, this week, and I said, hey, Ashton, would you be okay if I told a little bit of your story and how you know Jesus? And it was so, so sweet. He said, say as much as you want. It is my proudest accomplishment. So Ashton met Jesus on January 24th, 2021. And to be clear, I don't know all of your all's dates that you met Jesus, just Ashton's. Um, I don't even know mine, to be honest. I was four, and it was sometime when I was four. But um, the reason I know this important memory is because it is, it's marked in my brain. It's marked as an important date and an important moment because of something God did. And um, for me, seeing people come to know Jesus, it is the most incredible thing. It never gets old. I will literally never get over it. And so um, Ashton meeting Jesus that week was significant. Now, earlier that week, I had been in a conversation with my grandpa. I called him Papa, and he was my literal faith-preaching hero. So he had, he had led the church and preached in the church for 50 years, and um, on occasion, if I had decided, I know I've told you this before, but it's important to the story, if I decided, like, man, I don't know if I can cut this anymore. Like, I don't know if I want to stay the course in ministry. This is hard work. I would call him up or show up, and I would just say, like, hey, you know, like, Papa, this is harder than you maybe told me that it was. And um, he would just look at me with his very wise eyes, and he would just say, hey, sweetheart, just stay the course. Stay the course. It'll be worth it. And so earlier that week, I was, I was talking to my Papa, and I knew it would be the last conversation he and I would have while he was on earth. And um, I knew he was about ready to step into eternity. And so this conversation felt significant and important. And so I took the opportunity to just tell him, like, you have had such a significant impact on my life. You have shown me what it means to love the church of Jesus and sacrifice for the church of Jesus. And then I just told him of my, my deep love for him. And then I said, you know, by the way, Papa, uh, I'm going to be preaching on Sunday. And he got the sweetest smile on his face, and he said, I hope someone gets saved. 
Now, the next time that I talked to Papa was over FaceTime, and um, I said to him, I said, uh, Papa, you're not going to believe it. Someone got saved on Sunday. And he could no longer open his earthly eyes, and um, some tears fell down his face, and he just, I know that he was seeing into eternity already, and so that's why he knew the impact of Ashton's salvation. That's why he knew why it was so important that Ashton had chose Jesus that day. And um, church, I think it's so significant. We must become obsessed with things of eternity. We must, we must get our eyes off of ourselves and off of this earth and we must become obsessed with the things of Jesus and the things of eternity. We must ask for the Father to let our eyes see because I believe eternity is truly at hand. You know, and every time Ashton walks through these doors now, do you know that I just get the biggest smile in my spirit because I am reminded of Papa's devotion to the church. And I'm just like, man, Papa, you hoped really well that day. You hoped really well that Sunday. And um, hey, Ashton, it's a huge honor to have you in this church. Um, the week you got saved, the Lord had woke me up and he said, speak to the first generation Christian. And I thought, okay, well, we have a lot of church people in this church. So what does that look like? And I ended up rewriting my message and I, I spoke to the first generation Christian and that was Ashton. Ashton is a first generation Christ follower. And I just believe, Ashton, that the fact that this series is based off of your questions of faith is so cool because you are helping set the foundation of saying like, hey, young people, ask questions about your faith. Lean into these spiritual mothers and fathers and let us lead you and, and devote our lives to creating disciples. And so as I prepared for this message, Ashton, I just thought, God, you are so good to bring us these young people who want to know you. And um, I just want to encourage you, keep Keep asking those questions. Keep positioning yourself where you can hear the voice of God. All right? Can you do that for me? You can do that for me. Okay. So today we're going to focus on what are God's expectations of us. And I pondered, should I ask what our expectations of God should be? What should we expect of God? And I just felt strongly that we are to consume ourselves with what he expects of us and know that all the rest will fall into place. See, we are given this divine privilege to call him Abba Father, and we're given the opportunity to literally abide in his presence, to spend time with him. And this is a holy and a reverent name that we are allowed to love and have relationship with. But on a really practical note, I want to share with you that I think many Christians don't know this. They do not know this expectation, and it's that we are expected by God to keep his name holy, okay? Um, it means not using his name in vain. So like if you are attaching the phrase, oh my God, with a sentence that has nothing to do with the man who is, who, or the, the presence who is your God, that is taking his name in vain and that's not honoring his name. And God has an expectation of us that we do not take his name in vain. So Christ followers, we got to get better at that, okay? So if that's in your vocabulary and you're not actually talking of God or about God, we're going to cut that out. Same thing goes with Jesus Christ. We, see, we hear it all the time. Jesus Christ is a holy and divine name. It is not an exclamation, 
It is not a bad word. Um, and we need to return to the reverence of keeping God's name holy. You guys get that? Does that feel harsh? I hope that that doesn't feel harsh. I hope that that's helpful to you. Um, okay, so what does God expect from his children? This is a critical topic because when our expectations of God are misaligned, our expectations of each other are also misaligned. Okay, when we don't know what God expects out of us and from us, we do not have a, the correct frame of reference. Mark 12, 29 says this. Jesus replied, the most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. I know that sounds simple, but it's, it's, it can be very complex. And so today's message, we're going to focus on being sold out to the Father, loving him with all that we are. Not half foot in the world, half foot with Jesus, not half-heartedly, not half of our mind, but with all that we are. But we must understand, this is not a list of rules that we have to follow. Okay, it's a religious spirit that gives you a list of rules that you are required. Okay, so if you feel like you've got to check off the box or follow rules, that is the wrong spirit that you are following. And I think for far too long, the religious spirit has been trying to rule this region specifically. But that is a letter of the law theology. Jesus' statement in Mark 12 was actually a response that he gave to a group of religious leaders. And they were trying to falsely accuse him. They were trying to trap him and say, like, see, God, you're, Jesus, you are not keeping the law. But Jesus came to break that curse off. And I believe he is doing it right here in Peoria as we speak. That religious spirit is being broken off. And we are beginning to experience true breakthrough spiritually. I believe that we are stepping into the true relationship with God our Father, with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our minds, and all of our strengths. And I do believe that freedom is here for any one of us that want it. So fulfilling God's expectations of us should literally consume our lives in a healthy way. But do you know what is it's consuming our lives? It's all of the extras. All of the extras that fill our schedules. Um, maybe it's your son's football schedule or your daughter's dance schedule or all five activities that they're in at once that are literally jam-packing your schedule. Or maybe it's your work obsession. Maybe it's a hobby that um, you are obsessive about that's filling your schedule. Maybe it's something that's a little bit less obvious on your calendar, and it's a cluttered mind or a distracted mind. Those are the things that are causing our brains to literally be frazzled and to pack our schedules and to fill us with worry. These extras have very little to do with loving God. I'm not saying that they're bad. Extras are great. Being in sports is great. Being in dance is great. All of those are wonderful things. But we must find the balance of are we still putting God the Father first and are we loving him with all that we are? So do you have any space for the Father? Do you have any space for his love? 
If you were to see him face to face and he said, hey, my expectation is that you love me with all that you are, would that even be relevant to you? I realized that um, over the last many weeks, God has been working to give me a clear mind and to renew my mind and to literally heal parts of my brain that needed healed. And I'm going to talk to you about that a little bit later, but I believe in part the reason I understand God's love for me is because people ahead of me spoke it over me. So people like my mom and dad, they spoke to me about how much God loved me. They spoke to me about how much I should love God. People like my papa spoke to me about it. People like my siblings spoke to me about it. Leaders that have gone before me. And so I feel that I do have a very clear understanding of how much God loves me. There is not confusion in my mind about if I'm worthy of his love, if I need to do more to earn it. I just know that he loves me. It's like in the very DNA of who I am. I think it's also in part, though, because I've made space for God. I do it often. Very, very often I make space to be in his presence. And um, when, our, when our mind is properly aligned with the Holy Spirit, then our hearts can overflow with joy. Um, I heard John Piper say, he said, get alone with God and preach his word into your mind until your heart sings. So as I was alone with the Lord, I was asking him, what do you want to say to your church? What do you want to say to us in expectations? And I felt he said he wants to restore our fully functioning brains. He showed me that he doesn't want us loving him half-hearted or half-brained. And I kind of thought, hmm, I sort of wonder if someone like a brain surgeon should talk about this. Or someone that wants to go to the moon, like Cashy. Like, maybe Cashy should preach on this, because this, this is a high-level conversation if we're going to talk about our, our brains being healthy and loving God with our full brains. Um, but I felt like the Lord began to unpack this for me and to confirm it for me. And he showed me that many of us have believed a false narrative, that we've been told or we've convinced ourselves, like, well, you are type A. You are analytical. You are a processor. You are non-emotional. You are left-brained. Okay. Sounds like a very smart person. But therefore, you don't process his love in an emotional way. Or maybe you're on literally the other side and you're a creative. You're free-spirited. You are non-structured. You are emotionally driven. You're right-brained. Therefore, you don't ever analyze God or his ways. You just feel the emotion of them. You don't take a lot of stock in what's going on. And the thought hit me. When did we start functioning out of half of our brains when it comes to loving the Father? When did this happen? Church, we are the bride of Christ, and he did not choose a half-brained bride. Can you imagine on your wedding day if your spouse was like, hey, um, you know, I promise that I will love you with half of my brain. No, we would literally never agree to that. Well, I hope you wouldn't. Do not agree to that. But that is how we are showing up for Jesus. Like, hey, Jesus, I'm analytical. 
So please don't talk to me about anything emotional. I just want, like, the information. That's it. Or like, Jesus, let's just keep it emotional. I don't want to know anything deep because that's just too left-brained. No, we are called to have a mind that is fixed on Christ. We will not love the Lord our God with our half heart or with our half soul, with our half strength. Like, hey, God, I'll use my right arm to love you. Please don't ever ask me to use my left arm because that's not a sign to you. Like, that's to do whatever I want to do. This is, this is for you. We would not do that. But see, when we allow our minds to be healed, we will begin to correct our expectations of God, and we will begin to take back the spaces of our physical brain that the enemy has tried to take over. Chris preached last week about why we must become like little children in faith. He said this, we have to allow him to rewire us, our hearts and minds to become like children with childlike faith. And I'm sitting there and my brain literally starts lighting up like fireworks going off inside of my brain. And I wanted to literally jump up and say, yes, amen. Come on, Chris. You know why I didn't? I was worried about all y'all who are left-brained. I thought, you know, these left-brains in here who are analytical and don't like emotion, their minds might literally explode. <laughs> but I want to be like that, not minds exploding. I want to be like the person that is like, if Jesus is lighting up my brain, people are going to know about it, right? If Jesus, all right, come on, Jill. Jill ate the pastries today. I love that. We are not half-brained in our faith in Jesus Christ. We have the mind of Christ. You guys, I guarantee you this. If Jesus was half-brained in his time on earth, he would have literally never gone to the cross. Why? Because he would have analyzed his way out of it. The cross was emotional driven. It was right-brained. If Jesus was left brain functioning, he would have analyzed, strategized. He would have never made it to the cross. As this message was developing, I'm like questioning, Holy Spirit, am I crazy? Do I need a little more left brain? Am I, am I all in right brain right now? Like brain scientists, who in my church could preach this instead of me? Like I'm a stay-at-home mom who home educates my kids. I guess technically I am a brain scientist. Come on. So I'm talking to the Holy Spirit. And have you ever been having a conversation with someone that's going really well and you're like really connected with them and then all of a sudden, you know, you're locked eyes and all of a sudden they're like squirrel. And you're like, hello. We were talking. Well, I felt like the Holy Spirit had a squirrel moment on me. Because we're having this dialogue, and I'm like, full-brained, Holy Spirit, are you, is this what you want to do? And I felt like he was like, squirrel, hey, go look at that book that Craig lent you a few months ago. And I was like, uh, Holy Spirit, I don't know if you know this. I think when Craig gave me that book, I think he told me it was about joy, and I'm not talking about joy. So I would, I'd sort of like to get to stick to the point. 
But I started to feel that feeling I get when I know it's Holy Spirit. I started to get some chills, and I thought, okay, I'm going to go there. So I go to my couch, behind my couch, out of my basket. I pull out from the stack of books I want to read. And to my, literally my mind was blown when I picked up the book and I saw that there was a picture of a brain on the front cover. Now I had looked at the spine. The spine just says the other half of church. The front is a brain, left brain, right brain, the full brain. It's about Christian community, brain science, overcoming spiritual stagnation. And I thought, okay, Holy Spirit, um, right now I'm going to apologize to you for the fact that I thought you were having a squirrel moment, and then I'm going to stick to what you want to speak to your church. So I flipped the book open. It says this, half-brained church. When the church is functioning half-brained, the relational soil becomes depleted very quickly. Okay, so pause. In case you're new here, and I know some of you are, because you've shown up and I invited you Friday night. So welcome. Thank you for being here. We are based on the namesake of Acts 2.14. So this next line in this book is so significant. And when I read it, I was like, wow. Okay, mind exploding. It says this. The early church did not start out half-brained. In the book of Acts, we find a vibrant, full-brained community. But several hundred years ago, culture changed and pulled the Christian faith toward practices that are left-brain dominant. So growing disciples of Jesus became focused primarily on thoughts, words, strategies, arguments for truth. Relational skills and maturity were largely neglected. So the results have been disastrous for our relational soil. So it's worth noting at this point, I'm highly impressed by Holy Spirit. I'm very impressed that he's recalled this book to me. When Craig gave it to me, he's like, I don't know. I just feel like I'm supposed to give you this book. I, you don't have to read it. It's fine. Craig, if God ever tells you to give me a book, give me the book, okay? Listen to this portion. This is on the brain and discipleship. This is a little bit long. I want you to hang with me. Okay. When Jim Wilder explained to Bob, John, and me how the brain works, we learned that character change requires full brain engagement. I realized the materials and trainings I created for my church leaned heavily towards left brain. I overlooked the dominant side for character change, the right brain. Okay, pause. You might not know this, but most of the pastors in this church, correction, All of the pastors leading this church, none of us are properly, if you will, in the world's eyes, trained to preach the gospel. None of us have been to seminary. A few of us, (laughs) hallelujah. (laughs) Whoever said that, you get the iPad. A few of us apprenticed in ministry starting at age 12. And we just apprenticed for like the next 50 years, and here we are leading a church. So there's that. Um, 
So Jim believes that right-brained relational skills should be among the first things we teach new believers because this is the pattern we see in Jesus' life. Our love for Jesus, which is a right-brain attachment function, is what produces obedience. We see an example of this in John 14, 22 to 24. It says this, Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, not the one who denied Jesus, who betrayed him, he says, but Lord, why do you intend to show me yourself? Why do you intend to show yourself to us and not the world? Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and I will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. Notice the order. Judas wonders why Jesus doesn't reveal himself to everyone. Jesus says that he reveals himself only to those who love him. So love is the first step. We love Jesus, and then we will obey. When we do not love Jesus, we will not obey him. So we will see in later chapters that our loving attachment to Jesus forms our character. A left-brain view of Jesus' teaching will conclude that we need to choose to obey, and this will prove that we love him. But this is exactly backwards. If we want to obey Jesus, I need to focus on right brain skills that help me love him and receive his love. My behavior will then take care of itself. Our brains are designed to change us through love. The development of our relational and emotional life helps our soil be more fruitful, while the spiritual disciplines remove obstacles to our growth. If I lack right-brain relational development, the spiritual disciplines will be less effective. Even healthy seeds will not grow well in depleted soil. Now we see the common problem in many churches. Even when we take the Great Commission seriously, we often focus on building our personal relationship with Jesus, yet we fail to integrate people into a community. Full-brained discipleship contains both. Half-brained Christianity emphasizes left-brain skills, which is truth, doctrine, teaching, evangelism skills, ministry strategies, and they neglect the right-brain relational and emotional skills. A full-brained discipleship maintains both in balance. This is a picture of the mind of Christ that we have inherited Fully functioning brains, able to love him, to receive his love and to give it. That is when he is able to reveal himself and his truth to us. 1 Corinthians 2.10, starting, uh, yeah, 2.10, let's start in verse 10. But it was to us that God revealed these things by his spirit. For his spirit searches out everything and shows us God's deep secrets. That is my favorite verse right now, God's deep secrets. No one can know a person's thoughts except that person's own spirit. And no one can know God's thoughts except God's own spirit. And we have received God's spirit, not the world's spirit. So we can know the wonderful things God has freely given us. When we tell you these things, we do not use words that come from human wisdom. Instead, we speak words given to us by the Spirit, using the Spirit's words to explain spiritual things. But people who aren't spiritual, people who aren't spiritual cannot receive these truths from God's Spirit. It all sounds foolish to them, and they cannot understand it. For only those who are spiritual can understand what the Spirit means. 
Those who are spiritual can evaluate all things, but they themselves cannot be evaluated by others. For who can know the Lord's thoughts? Who knows enough to teach him? But we, we understand these things, for we have the mind of Christ. Not only do we have the Spirit of God, we have the mind of Christ, fully functioning. And so, church, we are not to walk through life using a portion of our brain in an attempt to love God. But that is what we have been doing. I don't know. Maybe you haven't. That is what I have been doing. Culture is losing its full-brained relational skills, and in many ways, we Christians have followed along. Okay, I'm going to read this last part of the book. And the rest, if you want to read it, you can read it. But, wow, listen to this. Without an awareness of the brain's role in forming our identity, Christian leaders gravitate toward left-brain strategies and neglect right-brain loving attachments. Discipleship became unbalanced. Christians thought of themselves as people with the right answers. Truth and choice became the recipe to get into heaven. Pastors primarily prepared for preaching positions through education, not character formation. Like their pastors, most Christians processed truth, but were not trained well in how to love. The Industrial Revolution intensified this problem by breaking down the relational bonds that have held families and communities together. The last several centuries produced a society that is less relationally connected. Multiple generations no longer lived and grew old in the same towns. Grandparents now visit their grandchildren every now and then instead of being integrated into their upbringing. Parents work outside of the home. Children grow up in childcare facilities and schools. Families seldom work together. Watching screens increasingly dominates our relaxation time, which is replacing face-to-face -face interaction. Right brain dominant relational skills are slowly dying. The practices that transmit these emotional and relational skills have been interrupted. Culture was losing its full brained relational skills and the church was following along. We are in this world, but we are not of it. One reason I love preaching is because it helps renew my mind. Not because of the work of preaching, which would be left-brained, but because of the pointing out of the promises of his word, which is right-brained. So my preparation for preaching involves silence in my closet, alone, listening to God, literally just letting him clear my mind and put whatever his thoughts are in my mind. But there's a flip side to that. Another way he speaks to me really clearly is when I'm cleaning my toilets. And um, I asked the Lord, I said, why do you speak to me so clearly when I'm cleaning the toilets? And it also just hit me. He gave me a lot of toilets in my house right now. And so that's probably why I hear from God frequently. I'm cleaning a lot of toilets. And I felt the spirit say to me, because you expect me to. 
See, as I am scrubbing toilets, it's perhaps what I would consider the lowliest job for a mom helping keep a household. You know, scrubbing a toilet, not a lot of glamour there, okay? I mean, poop happens, right? But it reminds me, when I am positioned to humbly serve him, he can do and say whatever he wants. So if I was doing, let's say, I don't know, brain surgery, and I had profound thoughts, I might think, yeah, like clearly I have profound thoughts because I am a brain surgeon. But when I am scrubbing toilets, I know it takes very little qualification process. Pretty much anyone can do it. And if you can't do it, you can find a tablet that does it for you. Like you just throw it in your toilet and it just flushes and cleans your toilet. So when I have these profound thoughts, I know these are from the Father. A couple years ago, a few years back, um, the Lord released a word over me as I was cleaning a toilet. And he said, I am releasing a building to Church 214. And you're literally sitting in that building right now. So it was one week later where God identified this building to us. And it was not on our radar, on our radar to get to buy a building at that point. So how do we hear from the Father with our full-brained capacity? We expect him to speak to us. We expect that he's going to move in a profound way. We expect that when he speaks, he will fulfill his promises. We allow our mind to be transformed. God calls his people to be transformed by the renewing of our minds And this transformation of thinking God's thoughts after him has to be a daily pursuit. This is not a one-time thing. Like if I'd have just sat on the word that he gave me three years ago, I would be up here trying to give you an old word. Like what am I going to preach to you about? Like hearing God talk about this building the rest of my life? No. Like God, you gave me a promise once, you fulfilled it. What's the next one? Come on, let's go, right? Like full mind of Christ. Romans 12, 2. It says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Any of you want to know God's will for your life? Transform the way you think. Let the mind of Christ become your mind. Last year, I had such a personal and powerful example of my brain literally being transformed by God. I had had someone speak something very dark and very negative over me. It was actually at a ministry event. It was a false accusation. And believe it or not, pastors have to decide whether we're going to stay or leave the church just like you do. Whether or not we're going to stay the course just like you do. Now this one, I've been in ministry a long time, so I feel like my skin has gotten really thick. But this one literally like broke my heart. It crushed my mind, my resolve. It was significant. And so right after that, we were going to lunch and I felt like I just sat there in stunned silence. And we're leaving the restaurant and I don't know how it came up, but I happened to share with three of my best friends 
with Phil and Becca and Chris what had been spoken and why I was reeling. And I remember saying, I looked right at them and I said, I cannot do this ministry calling anymore. I cannot take this level of attacking. I want to be done. And you know what those men did? You know what Chris and Phil did? They took me into their arms in the middle of Jalapeno's restaurant with people sitting around enjoying their chips and salsa and they got in my face and they began to rebuke the spirit of death that had been spoken over me. And they said, no, 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 not on our watch. And they began... So they rebuked those curse words that human voices had spoken, but that had come from demonic forces. And they set my mind back on the thoughts of who God says I was and why I am called and why I will stay the course. And I'm bawling. Like, it's not cute. I mean, our servers know us well there, and they're walking by like, what is wrong with Heidi? Was the margarita bad? Were the chips bad? They were crying too. But literally, I did not know this until a week and a half ago. I'm sitting in Phil's backyard. We're telling Phil how awesome he is on his birthday. And it hit me that in that moment in Jalapenos last year, the Lord literally did brain surgery on me right there in that restaurant. And he began to remove word curses that had been spoken over me. And he replaced them with my right thinking, which is the mind of Christ. You know, it's such a healing experience when men who don't have to choose you as their sister speak that level of authority and love over you. Very significant. So Chris, Phil, thank you. Thank you for championing the women of this church. Thank you for being men of God who are not intimidated by what God is doing, who are not afraid to speak the truth even if it's in the middle of jalapenos. See, when our minds are transformed, we are able to stay the course. I believed I am not doing this anymore. And then God's spirit literally said to me, get back to your healthy mind and get back to your ministry. On Wednesday, I picked up my phone at exactly 2.14, and then I saw this image of my family, and I heard the Spirit of Jesus say, I am unlocking profound truth over the 2.14 family this week. And so, church, I prophesy over you that the Spirit of God is going to physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually heal your brains today, okay? We are going to experience brains that are the minds of Christ today. I believe that the Spirit of God wants to move here in such a powerful way and not one single one of our minds is left out of that. You might have known God for 60 years. Today is the day that your brain is going to be healed spiritually. Minds healed fully. Restored to our full brain capacity, not left functioning or right functioning, but fully brain relational skills connected to God. In these next moments, I am going to ask the Spirit of God to heal your mind, to heal your brain. And if when I read these statements, if any of these resonate with you, 
and you're like, yes, that's me. Like, I need the mind of Christ in that area. I need my brain healed in that area. I'm going to invite you just to simply stand, or you can come forward. But the only thing I don't want you to do is to left brain yourself out of responding with your right brain emotionally. Okay? So if your brain has been affected by things that were done to you outside of your control... I speak in the name of Jesus that you are healed in your brain. To every brain that has believed a lie about yourself or a lie about the Father, you are healed in Jesus' name. To every brain stuck in pathways of trauma, healed in the name of Jesus. To the brains that are confused about your gender identity, healed in the name of Jesus. To the brains that are plagued by depression and oppression, healed in the name of Jesus right now. Brains that are sick with disease of this fallen world, healed in the name of Jesus. Brains that are unable to feel love, unable to feel love for your spouse or others, you are healed in the name of Jesus. Brains in a cycle of pornography, healed in the name of Jesus. Brains stuck in addiction, healed in the name of Jesus. Brains stuck in unforgiveness of yourself or others, you are being healed in the name of Jesus. And to the brains who are believing there is no God, you are healed in the name of Jesus. Your brain is set free to love God your Father by loving His Son Jesus. Father God, today you see every brain in this space. You see every need. You know every significant moment that has altered our right thinking. You know every thought that has taken away our full brain capacity and our lack of ability to know you and to love you fully. Jesus, I pray right now that your spirit would do what only you can do, what no words spoken by humans can do, but what your spirit can do, oh Jesus. I pray that you would restore our right thinking. Give us our full-brained capacity, right brain, left brain, working in unison with the voice that you created us in. I speak a better word. I, I pray, oh Jesus, that what you want to do in every single mind right now would be not just it would not just begin, but it would be completed right here in this moment. Jesus, that you would do surgery on our minds. You would give us the mind of Christ and that we would no longer be believing the lies of this world. Would you transform us by the renewing of our mind, oh Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for the humility of your people, for the people who say, I am all in. I do not want left brain theology anymore. I do not want to not know the ways of God. I want to be all in for the Spirit of God. Jesus, I pray that we would begin to hear testimonies coming out of this moment for what your Spirit has accomplished, for the healings that are taking place. Thank you, O oh Jesus. Thank you that we have the mind of Christ. We receive that promise by your Spirit. In Jesus' name I pray. Now as we worship, I want you to just continue to make space in your mind for what God wants to do for you. You can stay up front. If you still need to come up front, you come forward. But we're going to let God move in a way that only he can move.
and we're going to believe that we are going to see a massive, fruitful outpouring when we begin to step into loving God with all of our hearts, all of our souls, all of our minds, and all of our strength.